What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Draft Podcast on the Baseball America Podcast. I'm Carlos Glazo, joined by Peter Flaherty. It is November 16th as we record this podcast, kind of in the dog days of the offseason. Nothing, nothing is really flying around just yet. We haven't had any big signings. Uh, we're also getting further away from actual live baseball. So it's kind of this weird dead period where we're basically just grinding away on our prospect handbook chapters uh, and doing other sort of offseason work. But Peter, how are you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. I'm geared up uh, both for today's podcast and my Boston College Eagles have a they have the prime time slot against the Pitt Panthers, which should oh, be wow. an unbelievable game. Um, East showdown. Oh yeah, it's going to be gritty. It's going to be cold. It's just going to be probably a lot of gross football. Um, I'm sad to report that the path to the ACC championship is dead, but oh, the path no. to the Pop Tart Bowl is still alive. So that's <laughs> that's what I'm really rooting for. Oh, man. Well, it's good to know that you have something to root for on the college football front. I will tell you that UNC basketball has gotten started, and, and I'm much more enthused about UNC hoops than UNC football, Peter. So I might let you finish out the college football season on your own and and pivot to the hardwood myself. because <laughs> Gladly. I don't blame you. BC hoops is 3-0. I will say that. And then if, nice, they, nice. if they beat Harvard, they'll be 4-0 for the first time since I was a sophomore in high school and I'm aging myself a bit. That was the 2015, 2016 yeah, you're season. Re- you're really old, Peter. You're <laughs> <really> old. <laughs> but yeah. So I'm, as you can see, I'm trying to keep like somehow occupied and sane during the mm-hmm. downtime, but uh, happy to, I'm excited to keep cranking through the handbook chapter and, and really dive into the Marlin system. So yeah, uh, we obviously can talk some draft today. It's, it's what we do on this podcast. We've got a few more players to work through. Um, we're kind of getting to the end of our player breakdown series on this podcast. Uh, I feel like for you guys listening, I, I don't, I'm not sure if you want us to just keep working down the board talking about players. If that is what you want us to do, we can obviously continue doing that. But I think we're going to try and mix up the format, um, talk about a, a few other aspects of the draft, maybe maybe not necessarily focus on the 2024 draft into the offseason. Obviously, next spring, once we get rolling and, and games start being played, there'll be plenty to talk about there but if you guys have any ideas on on various topics you want us to hit if you want us to do any sort of redrafts with previous draft classes looking into that um, we've got a few ideas that we're kicking around that we're excited to do in the the upcoming weeks for this podcast but if you guys have any specific requests definitely don't hesitate to send those our way Uh, but today we're going to kind of walk through the 26 to 30 spots on our current draft board Um, it's a good blend of demographics and prospects on this podcast so that's fun um, but the first guy we have to talk about here is Griff O'Farrell, Virginia's shortstop. He was with college or USA Baseball's college national team this summer. We ranked him as the number eight prospect on that team. Uh, he's been a very productive college player so far in his two-year career. Overall, it's a 355, 430, 436 line. Um, he makes a lot of contact. Strikeout rate is only 10.9%. The walk rate is 11.4%. He does a lot of things really well. I'm not sure what the the upside or the the tools he's he's bringing to the table. It's nothing super loud. Just one of these players that is very steady, seems to make all the plays, and just does everything on the field very nicely while playing a premium position. But um, Peter, I'll kick it over to you. What are your thoughts on Griff O'Farrell? I know we were talking about it a bit on Slack last week, and I know you saw him, but I was explaining to you that when you see him this spring at UVA, I think you'll just you'll walk away thinking like that's just a really damn good baseball player and i think he's a little bit of a throwback in terms of the profile that he is like it's big time hit over power you cited the production he's had at the plate 
he had almost 400 at UVA last year, hit 396 with 20 doubles, a couple triples, and one home run. Um, and then he went to USA Baseball and also tore it up between the training camp um, and then the actual USA circuit, which he earned a final roster spot on. He posted a slash line of 436, 492, and 600, which, I mean, it's super, super impressive. Um, he's been their everyday shortstop at Virginia from the second he stepped on campus. I really like the swing from the right side. It's pretty aesthetically pleasing. He takes a direct path to contact, extends through it really well. There's some present bat speed there. Um, and as you mentioned, it's a line drive oriented swing path. And he, I mean, he peppers the entire field with line drives. He'll use, he'll use the entire field. Um, outstanding feel for the barrel. There's a 91% in zone contact rate in 2023. Um, I mean, I'd give the hit tool right now. It's certainly plus. And then in terms of velo, um, he's no stranger to it between the ACC, what he's seen in summer ball and so on, but against fastballs 93 plus, which I thought there was a legit enough sample size to, to calculate this stat line, uh, the slash line, it was 552, 606, 724. Um, I mean, to yeah. kind of just put it simply, you're not going to beat him with the heater. Um, he gets in the box, aggressive, aggressive approach. He's ready to hit. Um, he's not going to let a good, good pitch go by. Um, he's someone that I really find fun to watch, like in the age of, all of this power, which I think is is obviously great and and you know really helps a player's profile. I like watching O'Farrell. He, like like I mentioned, it's a bit of a throwback. It's shortstop. He's short-handed, quick feet, and good instincts. Um, I think he might eventually wind up at second base. Where in just looking at how he moves at shortstop and what he does, I think he could be an above-average defender. And then also to kind of round it out. He's an above average runner, has turned in plus run times, and he's an effective base dealer. So it's like yeah. if you're gonna draft someone of this profile in the where we have him in this 25 to 30 range, late first round, you're gonna have to feel really confident in the hit tool. Yeah. Um, because the power I think is gonna be below average. And then if you're gonna want to try and develop power, I think it would come with the hit tool being sacrificed a little bit. Um, but I think that there will be organizations confident enough in the hit tool that he's going to hit his way to the big leagues. I know I am. Yeah. Um, I'm probably pretty bullish on him, but all he's done is hit everywhere he's gone. Um, and I just really like how everything plays and moves in the box. Yeah, really thorough breakdown there, Peter. I think one of the things that stands out to me about O'Farrell is it, it feels like he's one of those players where if you went in for one day and saw him or you saw him in a workout environment, he might really not jump off the page to you at all. But if you sat on a series or watched him for a full week uh, and just saw a large collection of games, I think he's one of those players that just stands out to you because he's always doing something positive. He's consistently taking quality at bats. He's consistently on base. He makes all the plays he gets to. He's just that very steady player um, that knows how to play the game and, and gets the most out of his tool set. I was interested in, in hearing your questions about his defensive profile because I think that's maybe... Outside of power, which he just might not be one of those impactful middle-of-the-order power type hitters. I just don't think that's the sort of power he has. Um, just given the way the ball dies off his bat, it's not like he has a ton of physical projection left to, to really dream on a ton of strength and raw power coming. Um, but watching him play shortstop, there are a few plays, kind of these in-between plays, balls in the hole, difficult plays, like not plays that you expect a shortstop to make necessarily, but plays that you probably want a big league shortstop to make at the next level when the game speeds up, where I thought the arm was kind of light. And, and so that was the only reason I thought to maybe move him to the right side of the infield. Just the arm strength seemed to tick lighter than what you would want. But what are your other thoughts on him as a defender? I think 
it's it's obviously impressive that he's been a shortstop for Virginia since day one. And I think there's a lot of cachet that you get if you are USA Baseball's uh, shortstop. Like the, the track record of that specific player, the starter for college national team at that position is quite good. And I think Jacob Gonzalez a year ago, he benefited from that. He was a two-time uh, college national team shortstop. And, and I think some questions about his defensive profile, you could maybe be optimistic about him because of his just his performance and history uh, at the position. And he was also another guy who just always played the position in college. What are your kind of extended thoughts on him as a defender and looking forward to the pro game where he profiles best? I mean, I think that sums him up pretty well. Like it's a good glove. He makes the plays that he needs to make. There aren't going to be a lot of mental errors or, or really errors in general. But like you said, there's not a ton of flashy plays. It's more so he kind of does what he needs to do at the position and, I think long term, like especially when looking way ahead to the big league level or or even higher up in pro ball, I think he probably ends up at second base, which I think second base, it's not a premium up the middle position like catcher, shortstop, center field, but I think it's or perhaps should be viewed a little bit more as a premium position. I don't think it's a huge knock if he ends up at the position. Um, and again, I think that the actions and the plays that he is able to make would play really well over at second eventually where I think the defense would probably be above average. Yeah, I think I tend to agree there. It is kind of impressive what he's been able to do against velocity. He's definitely a fastball hitter. I think his contact rate against fastballs just overall is greater than 90%. Against 92+, plus. that number was nine a 9% miss rate, I should say. Um, really, most of his swing and miss seems to come against breaking balls. Um, so I guess if you want to look look ahead for what he can improve on next spring, um, maybe just showing more of that contact across the board with all pitch types is something you want to see. Again, maybe you want to see more power. I don't think he's just the guy that I would expect or anticipate a lot of that power showing up. So is there anything you think he can do next year to amplify his profile? I guess going into the offseason, getting stronger, um, and maybe having his tools jump a bit would make the profile even more exciting. Um, but I feel like if he does if he does what he did last year and the year before that, he's he's got a pretty safe profile in this class. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not going to move the needle much. Maybe like a couple of, you know, a, a little bit of an uptick in in home runs and balls over the fence. But again, like he hit over, I mean, he hit nearly 400 with 20 doubles. Like the production's there. Um, you cited the maybe improving the pitch recognition skills against spin, which this past summer he performed well against it. I mean, it was a 93% overall in zone contact right at USA. And then it was 92% against both fastballs and sliders, and he didn't miss a changeup in the zone. So um, I think part of that is just a little bit can be attributed to his aggressive approach in the box. Um, I think that he he knows himself very, very well. Um, he's not going to sell for anything. And, um, you know, he, he consistently moves the baseball. So even if the profile largely remains the same, um, I think that clubs are going to feel – really, really confident in the hit tool come draft day. And I know that, again, it's not going to be the flashiest profile. It's below average power. Um, he does everything almost really, really well with the hit tool being the carrying tool. But um, I don't know. He's he's someone that I, I'm just really excited about, and I think he's going to hit his way to the major leagues. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Griffo Farrell. Let's move on to some of our other prospects here. we got a couple short stops that we're going to talk about on today's episode. The next is Brennan Lawson, who is a high school 
shortstop in this class, one of the top Canadian players in the class. I think the first Canadian that we've talked about in this, this series going over 24 prospects. He'll be young for the class, I believe 17 on draft day. Um, he's very physical already, solid frame, six foot three, 185 pounds, left-handed hitter, right-handed thrower. Uh, he's, he's developed a reputation as one of the better hitters in this high school class. He's performed well in-game against solid competition. He's got great bat speed. Uh, he does have a very unorthodox setup. We've talked about a few players in this podcast series who have unique setups. I think this this swing is a little bit reminiscent of Nolan Shanwell. It's a very high handset in his load uh, before he kind of drops his hands with a toe tap, gets into a cocked launch position with a high back elbow, his bat tilted forward. So there are some moving parts and it looks a bit odd, but in general, he has made a lot of hard contact. I think he's a guy who maybe has a little bit of swing and miss in his game that you're going to want him to iron out moving forward, but his swing decisions on the whole have been solid. Um, So if he can continue doing that, getting on base, hitting for average, there's some pull side power in the tank. Uh, It's mostly a line drive swing right now, but it's a pretty exciting offensive profile, I'd say. And then he also has solid actions defensively. I think there's going to be shortstop third base questions, just depending on how physical he gets, uh, how old, um, how old he's going to be, um, or excuse me, just how, how much more physical he gets as he ages. And I'm looking at his age right now. He's not going to be 17 on draft day. That was a mistake by me. He's going to be 18 and a half. So pretty normal age for the draft class, but that's Brendan Lawson. Peter, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah. And digging in deeper onto him, he was someone that I was super intrigued and excited about. It's, it's a pro body already at 6'3", 195, and he's only 17 years old. It is a really unique, almost one-of-a-kind setup in the box. You mentioned it. Stands totally upright, ultra-high handset. Um, but he gets into consistently a good hitter's position. You Oftentimes with these unique operations, they come with these questions. And, I mean, with Lawson so far, he's made it work. He gets on time. Um consistently generates quality contact. I think it's a, a very pull-oriented approach, but there is present bad speed and some impact. And I'm really excited, especially just as he ages naturally for the impact that's to come, and then also as he adds some strength. I think in watching him defend, the actions were fine at shortstop, and I at this level he's held his own fine. I think eventually, given how he's going to fill out physically or, or projects to fill out physically, um, and just long term, I think that third base probably makes the most sense just mm-hmm. in in my initial look at him. But um, it's I think he's going to stick on the left side, which is a check in his favor. Um, and I'm I, I like the I'm a fan of the Canadian players, and mm-hmm. um, I I think that he's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where he goes and is able to establish himself by draft day. Because I mean, I think that. He's he's certainly got first round upside, and I'm excited to see how far he can he can climb up. Yeah, he's he's a really fun hitter to watch. I like the impact upside he has because I do think the bat speed is is pretty electric, and he's got some strength now presently. If you look at him physically, I think the questions are going to be like just how big he already is in his lower half. He moves around fine at the position now. You mentioned his defensive actions, and I think he makes all the plays you need him to make. He throws well from different arm angles. He throws well on the run. I think in in terms of arm strength, it's more than enough to keep him on the left side of the field. Just like how does that speed uh, tool develop for him over the next few years? He's been a fringy runner at times. Um, just that short area quickness, side-to-side mobility, is it going to be enough to stick at shortstop? 
I think he's got all the actions and arm strengths to stick there. It'd be more like a mobility question for me as he develops. But but also, if he gets slower because he's adding more strength, I, I think he could add a lot of power. I'm not certain what I think about his power upside ultimately. Um, and I will be curious to see if he winds up being this pull-heavy hitter who's hunting home runs or if he does wind up being more of this all-fields type hitter. I've seen flashes of both of that with him. Um, and I also just kind of wonder about the overall contact quality because he takes big aggressive swings. There is some decent miss in his game. Is that kind of a, an issue with approach that could be easily fixed? Or is that maybe just an element that you're always going to have to wonder about with him as a hitter? But he is very fun. Um, it, I think there are a number of shortstops in this class who are intriguing. The ultimate like pecking order and how they're going to line up will be something that will be fun to see this spring. Yeah, and in just working through these guys and and as we discuss them, we've hit on it so much, but there's really all of these players can kind of play themselves as high, really, you know, as high as they want to a degree. Like, obviously, it came out wrong, but there's plenty of room to improve their stock and, and play themselves in a better draft pick. I think another thing with Lawson was – the pitch recognition skills. I know that the there's some miss rate in zone and stuff, but the swing decisions I thought were 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 pretty good. And in the the pitch recognition skills at this level, it's oftentimes a hole that you can poke in a prep player's game. Um, with Lawson, that's not necessarily the case. Um, the fact that they're already advanced, I think, is um, pretty impressive. He performed well at area code. More walks and strikeouts. Um, I think he had two hits and six total at-bats or official at-bats. So, um, again, I think that in a class with – in terms of high school infielders, um, we haven't talked about my personal favorite one yet, and we won't on this episode. But um, these guys can kind of uh, – you know, you can shuffle them any which way, and, and in and that order to a certain degree could make sense as to where they go on draft day. Well, who's your favorite high school infielder? Caleb Bonimer from Okemos High School in Michigan. Yes. Yeah, hot, hot take, I know, but uh, he's he's my favorite one. Yeah, Bonimer is going to be shooting up our rankings on our next update. I think that's a, a smart pick there. I, I'd probably be with you. I was like, oh, which which player are you thinking of here? But, yeah, that's a good one. We'll talk about him at some point in the future for sure, but not, not on today's episode. We'll move on to another high school shortstop, though. I'm curious to compare and contrast Lawson and Charlie Bates, who is a high school shortstop out of – California committed to Stanford. Uh, Bates is a Florida commit as well. I'm not sure if either of us mentioned that. Um, Bates, Bates, is Stan- Bates is Stanford. Yeah, Bates is Stanford and Lawson is Florida. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah. sorry. I don't know, you're good. Uh, but he is another left-handed hitting, right-handed throwing shortstop, so it's nice to get that lefty bat. I think with Bates, it's more of a, a defensive first profile compared to Lawson. I mean, Bates does have a good track record of hitting as an underclassman, his results this summer weren't maybe the sort of uh, baseball card statistics you'd want to see. He did show pretty solid at-bats um, throughout the summer, got on base quite a bit. Um, it was 12 walks, 13 strikeouts, and just a 19% chase rate uh, throughout this summer for him. Uh, it's a simple, repeatable swing. Again, a solid eye at the plate, well-rounded tool set. He's six foot one, 180 pounds. Uh, he's got some room to fill out, maybe more physical projection than Lawson has currently. But what really stood out with me with Bates are just his actions defensively. He's very instinctive, very smooth in the field, has has impressive feet, impressive hands, 
a strong arm defensively, good body control, good timing. Like everything he does defensively makes me think he's going to stick at the position and be a really good defender there. And he's also been a plus runner at times. So I think for for Charlie, um, maybe rolled over on the ball a little bit more often than you'd want to see when he did get a chance to fire off some swings, maybe a little bit passive at times. Um, but it's a pretty solid all-around profile that I don't know is is too different than guys we talked about on previous podcasts, like an Owen Pano, who we have in like the middle of the first round range on our board, um, and then Bates here at 28. Like I don't know that there's such a huge gap between those profiles. It's a lot of the same traits to like and question marks about just the pure hit tool and operation. But what are your thoughts on Bates? Yeah, when talking about guys and question marks, maybe about who can stick at shortstop, who's going to make a move to another position, I think Bates right now is a pretty safe bet to stick at the position. Like you said, in looking at him, it's a defense-first profile, but the glove is is legit. I'd probably give – I mean, right now at the high school level, he's a, he's a plus defender. It's really quick feet, smooth actions, really great internal game clock, and the arm to stick there, so – um, I think he's definitely going to stick at the position. And then, as you mentioned, it's a pretty low maintenance operation in the box stands almost upright, slightly open front side. Um, there's really no stride. He more just lifts his foot up and puts it back down. Um, and it's a rhythmic, aesthetically pleasing operation from the left side. Um, there's a direct path to contact. Um, and I thought that he had pretty advanced feel for the barrel. Like you said, if you just looked at the stats from this summer, nothing's going to really jump out. Um, but I thought he generated quality contact um, pretty consistently. Um, and again, the defense really shined. And there's there's also some present bat speed. So as he continues again, hmm. as is the case with all these high school kids, to get more physical, um, just as they naturally age, um, I think that there's going to be more power to come, especially to the, to the pull side and to the pull side gap. But with him being committed to Stanford, I forget the exact stat. I had it like... I was going to ask you about this because I knew you had this one. But I, I know. I have the stat. Up. I was trying to find it. But they've like, since 2016 or 2017, in terms of their high school commits, I think they've lost one player to the draft. In the, and they've brought in some legit recruiting classes and guys like yeah. Tommy Troy, Malcolm Moore. Um, I could keep going on and on. Um, so it's going to be a really tough pull i think for for and it's going to be a high asking price to get him to to get him away from stanford he's a palo alto kid um so i mean he's going to school right down the street so it's going to be interesting how the whole process plays out um i wouldn't be shocked if he's a type looking way 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 down the pike to go to school um establish himself as one of the best shortstop in the country shortstops in the country and like Mm. play himself into that top 10 or so range um but even he, as I mean, is, if he gets to campus if he gets to campus and hits we'll probably be talking about him how we talk about rock Chalowski now right just given his reputation as a defender um going to a big school and hitting in college and developing that track record i mean he's got he's got the exact profile you're looking for it's just the conviction in the hit tool and the college commit like you said stanford always gets their guys it's very tough for mlb clubs to sign players out of a stanford commitment so uh, he's going to have to go very, very high for that not to happen this year. Yeah, exactly. And that's a good point about Chalowski. Like right now, um, how we've talked about him, how I wrote him up on the freshman spotlight, it's like, you know, if he can hit in college and turn in some good summer baseball performances, that'll inevitably, inevitably be, you know, on the Cape or Team USA. 
stuff of that nature. I mean, he's going to be squarely in the top five to top 10 overall conversation. So I think with Bates, if he ends up at campus, like you said, he's going to be right there again. And if that hit tool can really develop, it's a, a really, really exciting profile with a left-handed hitting shortstop with a little bit of size. So yeah. um, uh, some a guy to be excited about now, obviously, but even in a few years, if he ends up in college, that you can really, really be excited about. Yeah, well, let's move on to another player who was a prominent prospect out of high school, did make it to college campus. That's uh, right-handed pitcher Thatcher Hurd, now at Louisiana State, previously at UCLA. In the 2021 high school class, he ranked as the number 44 prospect overall, so he's one of the top players to just reach campus. Um, he's had a bit of an up-and-down college career, I guess you could say, in 2022 with UCLA in just six starts, 34 total innings. He was excellent. It was a 1.06 ERA. 48 strikeouts to 10 walks. He transferred to LSU for the 2023 season. Split time as a starter and a reliever. It was 11 starts and 23 appearances. 63.1 total innings. The ERA jumped to 5.68. But I think it was a story of, of two halves, really. I think Peter wrote about this in his uh, report that we currently have with our draft rankings. Started out slow. Kind of got into a little bit of a rhythm in the second half. Uh, but he's a guy with tremendous stuff. It's a fastball in the mid-90s, great field to spin, both his breaking balls, a slider and a curveball. Hasn't really thrown a change up much, but he's got history of flashing a decent one. But I think Thatcher Hurd is maybe a guy who a year ago you would expect to be in the conversation for a first pitcher off the board in this class. Peter, what are your thoughts on Hurd, and, and how far away from that conversation do you think he really is, just maybe given some of our uncertainties about the arms in this class? Yeah, I think at this point he might be a little bit far off from first arm off the board contention, but that I'm going to segue right into saying that he's got a golden opportunity to cement himself in that conversation, especially where he figures to be a Friday, maybe Saturday guy at LSU, another really good LSU team. He'll have plenty of eyes on him, um, obviously. And if he can put it all together, like there's, again, he's, there's no reason why he can't pitch his way into the top, 15 to 20 overall picks potentially. Um, and I got him, I think at his best, he started the national championship game for LSU and it got off to, it got off to a brutal start because Wyatt Langford took him deep. Um, but after that, he threw five hitless innings and was outstanding both against a really, really good Florida team and on the biggest stage in all of college baseball. And then the career arc has been an interesting one. He was outstanding at UCLA in his true freshman year, had a 1.06 ERA as a starter, 48 Ks to 10 walks and 34 innings. Then he got hurt, missed the rest of the season. Um, I believe it was a lower back issue. And then he entered the transfer portal where like so many of the transfers from last year's cycle that he wound up at LSU. Um, he's got a good looking body at 6'4", 215. It's a pretty short arm action. He attacks from a three-quarter slot, and the fastball will sit in the 93 to 96 mile an hour range. I believe he averaged 94.8 miles an hour, 94.5 miles an hour on the pitch last year. Last year, yep. Yeah, and it'll routinely be up to 97, 98. It's got plenty of life, run and ride through the zone. Um, I think with the velo in shape right now, I mean, right, I, I think he has gotten up to over 20 inches of. Last year, last year he averaged 20.4 inches IVB, so that's a plus or plus plus uh, metric. <laughs> I was going to say right now, like the fastball is plus. He throws two distinct breaking balls in a high 70s curveball and a mid 80s slider. The slider, he'll, he'll basically almost exclusively throw it to right-handed hitters, but he spins it well. 
um, tons of horizontal movement. And I think, again, it's above average borderline plus at a 36% miss rate in 23. And then the calling card for him right now, I think, is that high 70s breaker. It's got a ton of depth, tight, sharp, downward break. Um, he was spinning it in Omaha in the 2,900 to 3,200 plus RPM range, which is elite level spin rates. Um, he's got advanced feel for the offering and it, it, it gets tons of swing and miss. Um, I, I think right now it's probably a strong six offering. Um, but I mean, it's, he's, it's flash 70. It's that good. And last year, 35% miss rate two eleven opponents batting average against it and he'll throw it to both righties and lefties where it's effective against both so it's a starter's pitch mix starter body it's just going to be a matter of putting it all together and in having a fully healthy productive season um in a weekend rotation for her and if he's able to do that i mean they're going to be organizations that are really really convicted on him and again that's you're looking at probably a, a potential top 15 top 20 type pick if he's yeah. able to do that yeah, I really do think that if, if he comes out healthy and he looks more like the 2022 version of himself, I mean, we haven't talked about this too much yet, and I'm curious what you think, but it was a 7.8% walk rate in 22. That jumped up to 13.8% in 2023. I think just fastball command uh, was an issue for him a year ago, whereas maybe a few years prior and even back in high school, you didn't wonder as much about that, but you mentioned it. I mean, between the stuff, between the fastball, between both the breaking balls, the fact that he's flashed a decent changeup in the past, again, I'm not sure how effective that pitch currently is for him. It didn't get a ton of misses in the very few times he used it last year, but I think it's in the tank. Uh, and if you have like three above average pitches, uh, including a pair of plus maybe breaking balls, you don't really need to use it a ton. Um, but just between the body, the velocity, the field to spin, all three of his primary pitches, or all three of his first pitches, I guess, are, are really high spin offerings. You mentioned the breaking, the curveball, the slider also averaged around 2,800 RPM. The fastball has really high spin rates for a fastball in the 24, 2,500 range. So he just does a lot of things well that every team, regardless of your pitching philosophy, I think is going to like. And the fact that he packs it all into the frame that he has physically with his amateur track record, I feel like he could be a player who teams just feel comfortable about if he is posting every week and he's going to be pitching in the SEC with LSU, so like you said previously, he's going to have every opportunity. Just in terms of scouting him up and looking at the tools and the question marks, it's health and it's command, right? Those are the two big ones that you want to see. Yeah, and with the command, it, it shoring that up is going to go such a long way in maximizing that profile. We saw what it was like at UCLA in his true freshman year, the numbers that he posted. Um, but this past year, he was... I think getting ahead and staying ahead is, is such a key through a first pitch strike in less than half the at-bats. And just looking at overall counts, um, he was ahead. Thatcher was ahead and pitching in plus counts just a little bit less than than half the time. So I think if that number improves, obviously that will come with an improved walk rate. And I think that the season that he could have um, it could be really, really special. There's just as you, as we've mentioned so many times now, there are so many great ingredients and if he's able to put it all together, it's such a special product. I mean, there was a reason why when he made it to campus at UCLA, he was getting mentioned even as a potential top five overall pick in this year's draft class. Like that's the type of stuff that he has. So um, I'm, I'm really, really excited to, to, to see him pitch this spring and 
he built a lot of positive momentum at the end of 23, um, especially in that national championship game against Florida. I know that the result was really never in doubt, um, but it was a close game for the first four or five innings in a national championship game is a national championship game for him to go Hmm. at Charles Schwab field against a Florida team that again, featured Wyatt Langford and, yeah, exactly. And he, he fired five straight hitless innings after he gave up a tank to start the game. So that showed me a lot about him. Yeah, I think he'll be one of the most exciting pitchers to keep an eye on early next spring. And I it wouldn't shock me at all if he comes out posting like we jumped Paul Skeens up. I mean, Skeens started quite a bit higher than where we have Thatcher Hurd currently on the board. Uh, but I'd say Skeens within four or five weeks, maybe even quicker than that, was kind of the number one college pitching prospect in the class Hurd's competition this year is, is not as strong as a year ago. Um, he's at 29 right now on our board as it stands, but it would not surprise me at all with a good spring. If he jumped up quite a bit higher than that. So we'll see what happens with him. Uh, Peter, any final comments on, on Hurd before we move on to our final player and another pitcher? Yeah. Just like looking at the college pitching crop, it's going to be really fun to see how it shakes out because in, I think right now, just in what he's done, this fall and again being at wake forest with the pitching lab and and the excellent coaching he's going to receive i think chase burns is a a lot of people's number one pitcher right now and again a lot could change throughout the cycle and in the season and whatnot but after that it's you can kind of take your pick as to who your second pitcher is whether that's someone like josh hartle brody brecht obviously hagan smith jonathan santucci thatcher hurd's got an opportunity to pitch his way into that slot and even a potential sleeper um, like Trey Savage, ECU fans were all over me because I said that it was <laughs> a non-power five arm to realize I wrote up a glowing report on him. But he's he's another one who could very well pitch his way into the top 20, 25, 30 picks. So yeah. um, it is a literal wide open arms race, um, mm-hmm. I think, after Burns right now. Yeah. Well said. Well, let's move on to our final player of today's episode. That is right-handed pitcher Tegan Coons. He is a high school pitcher out of Pennsylvania, so a little Northeast uh, flavor to finish it off just for you, Peter. Um, Tegan is a really fascinating arm. He's a super projectable pitcher with a lanky six foot three, 175-pound frame. He's got a lot of arm speed. He's got a up-tempo uh, kind of efforty delivery with um, maybe a little bit of length in the arm stroke um, but he's fun to watch pitch he throws in the low 90s I think he averaged around 92 93 this summer has been up to 94 95 uh, but the calling card for him is one of the better breaking balls in the prep class it's a hammer slurvy low 80s curveball upper 70s curveball that curve gets near 3,000 rpm in the spin, in the spin. Uh, it features really it sharp really two plane break um probably an easy plus pitch projection he threw the pitch uh well at least of the three swings that he got against the pitch in perfect games all-american classic he got whiffs on all three of them so it's definitely his bread and butter pitch he hasn't thrown the changeup as often but he's mixed with uh or he's experimented with a, a changeup and a split change at times that could be a third offering for him uh, but he just looks like the type of player who's going to fill out and be an absolute flamethrower in a few years. He's a little bit older for the class. He'll be 19 on draft day, um, but he's got a really exciting two-pitch combo. Peter, thoughts? Yeah, on that, that, per- 
I was going to say that perfectly sums him up and he's a Northeast guy. Um, I think that he fits the bill and the phrase good clay to a T like it's six, three, one seventy five, super high waisted kid. You mentioned the age. He's going to be a little old on draft day being 19, but there is so much room right now to add physical, to add physicality and strength to the frame. Um, it's almost, a, it's a pretty long arm stroke, almost like a shot putty delivery. Um, yeah. It's, this is a very deep pull by me, um, but at least at layback, um, it's a little bit like Will Privet from College of Charleston. Mm. Um, again, super deep pull, but uh, riding fastball, it's got a, car- a lot of carry on it. As you said, it averaged over 92 miles an hour this past summer, um, up to 94. It plays really well in the top half of the strike zone. Um, but you said the calling card with him is that super sharp, high 70s, low 80s curveball that I think right now is a plus pitch, throws it with conviction, spins it really, really well, flashes depth. And then on the on the circuit this past summer and just looking at his travel ball stats, um, it was a .083 opponent's batting average. I think with him, though, again, when you talk about guys in this range, especially high school right handers, you're going to be you're going to want to be really sold, I think, on the ability to start at the next level which there's certainly the possibility with that with Coons, but um, there's, it, it doesn't come without risk. There is some effort in the delivery third pitch and developing it is, is going to also be a key for him. But um, you're looking at a really fun ball of clay that you can mold because right now I think that the fastball and the curveball, those two, the curveball right now is absolutely a plus pitch. And I think that the fastball is a borderline plus offering as well. Um, so you're looking at two plus pitches and if he can get even just an average change up mm. and, and show that he can start, uh, this is a really, really fun arm and, and he'll just get all the more fun to, to watch. Yeah. And he's experimented with a slider as well. Kind of a, a flatter breaking ball doesn't have the same amount of depth, um, that maybe can be a more consistent end zone offering for him at the next level. I think the questions are going to be, what is that third pitch? Is it the change up? Is it a second breaking ball and a slider? Uh, I think his breaking ball has kind of blended into a curveball and slider at times, but just further separating those pitches and having two distinct secondary offerings. Uh, And then what is the command of the fastball going to be? I think pitchers for me who have long arm actions, I always question like, what are your strikes going to be? And what's like the consistency of a release point, particularly with, with breaking balls. Um, I don't have that second question with Coons, but I do wonder what the sort of control and command is going to be for him long-term. Uh, although again, with, with the amount of strength that he's going to put on, I think he's going to be able to, um, refine some of the things you don't love in the delivery delivery right now that potentially can improve that consistency of the control and the command. Um, but he has a really high upside play. And I think once we get into this range with the high school pitchers, kind of like the college pitchers this year, there's not a ton of separation here. There's a lot of high school pitching depth. I think there are a lot of players that really profile in similar ways. There are a number of pitchers who have similar frames to Coons, who have stuff like Coons. So if we get more separation from these guys next spring, I think it's going to be really important for them just to kind of make themselves look like a bit of an outlier or differentiate themselves from their their contemporaries because it is going to be tricky. Teams don't love the high school pitching demographic. There are only a few of those guys who get paid what they need to get paid to uh, not go to college and in Coon's case he's committed to Tennessee so you imagine it's going to be a pretty hefty price tag there um, but it's really fun to dream on him I love dreaming on these profiles and 
when a guy throws hard now, he has spin like this, he has that body, it, it's very easy to dream on him. Oh, without a doubt. And, and going back a little to the breaking ball, as you mentioned, if he's experimenting with a slider, a, a few curveballs or, or what he calls curveballs, I thought took on a little bit of a slurvy shape. And then, as you mentioned, if he can just kind of clean up the delivery a little bit, there's, I'd say, a, a lot of moving parts. It's a unique operation. Yeah. Um, and then directionally, he falls a little bit off to the first base side, which I think are two things that are relatively easy fix that I think could lead to improved strike throwing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, when, when you're looking at it, potentially all coming together for Coons, um, the upside is, 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 is as probably as high as any high school arm in the class. Um, but again, with a high school right-hander, a commitment to Tennessee, it, you're going to have to be really, really convicted on him, um, in about eight months to take him in the range that you probably will need to, to sign him. So Mm-hmm. Um, a really fun arm again, if looking way further down, farther down the road, um, if he does make it to school, um, someone that's probably going to light up the sec for a couple of years, because I yeah. think he'll be sophomore eligible. Um, but that's a yeah, conversation for another time. <laughs> yeah, I believe that's right. So yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting to, to find out and see, but those are our five players for today. Uh, running them down again, it was Griffo Farrell at Virginia, Brendan Lawson, Canadian shortstop, uh, Charlie Bates, another high school shortstop out of California, Thatcher Hurd, Louisiana State Rain pitcher, and Tegan Coons, a high school pitcher out of Pennsylvania. So really a broad range of, of demographics and profiles, some toolsy players with upside and risk, some maybe more steady eddy profiles with the higher floor and, and ceiling questions. So whatever you like, you probably found uh, a profile in today's episode. Um, but Peter, anything you want to uh, chat about or plug to our listeners before we hop off for today? Yeah, yesterday I just dropped a top 10 incoming freshman article complete with reports. You can check that out tomorrow. I'll continue along with the freshman spotlight series next week. I think I'm going to continue and expand the rankings to 11 through 20 and then a little bit farther down the road, a kind of a a hot sheet, so to speak of up and coming assistant coaches at the college game. And then of course, all of the prospect handbook stuff. So a lot going on as usual on top of all the podcasts. So I think there'll be, stuff out there for everyone yeah except for lsu fans who you managed to probably piss off because cam johnson not not number one on your list. <laughs> I, won't, I won't spoil who you put there i'll try and get people to go click on the list and see but it's we, a veteran move we have to take lsu down a peg or two they've they've had too much <laughs> success this year they've been winning everything so good good for you peter i appreciate that move i know they only have the number two freshman um in college baseball <laughs> this year who only threw two perfect innings with six k's in a scrimmage last <laughs> week so they gotta step it up a little bit exactly they need some talent over there all right <laughs> well that does it that does it for me um thank you peter for another fun episode thank you guys for listening and, and hanging out with us and talking some draft uh, and thank you for supporting baseball america if you do we really appreciate BA subscribers, you guys allow us to take some time out of our day and talk prospects and then the rest of the day write about them and and talk to scouts about them. So thank you guys for allowing us to do this. If you haven't subscribed to Baseball America, maybe consider it. I think we're running some deals this offseason. So check out the website and see what you can get there. The Prospect Handbook is coming out. That's a must read every year. So you can pre-order that through us. Um, That'll get it in your hands a little bit quicker than if you order it after the fact from Amazon, I believe. But For Peter, I'm Carlos. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.